Peace in a Pod. My name is Indigo Trakauger, and I'm a communicator at the Peace Research Institute, Oslo. My job here is to help researchers convey their work. Usually that means talking to the media, politicians, other stakeholders, and colleagues. With this podcast, that means talking to you. When we imagine artificial intelligence in warfare, we might think of films like Blade Runner and its replicants, or Terminator's Skynet. But in reality, some artificial intelligence usage is already occurring, and contrary to the films, it's not necessarily the machines we should be afraid of. We should be concerned about humans. What happens when people use AI in warfare? What does it do to their ability to empathize, make moral decisions, and fight ethically? Greg Reichberg leads the project Warring with Machines at Prio. The project's primary research focus is on the people who serve in combat settings with AI-enabled machines. In a battle space where machine autonomy is increasingly assuming functions once restricted to human beings, maintaining clear lines of human responsibility is of paramount importance. Today I'm talking to both Greg and to project member Shannon French. Gregory M. Reichberg is a research professor at Prio. From 2009 to 2012, he was director of the Prio Cypress Center. As a philosopher, his work has focused on military ethics, artificial intelligence, and religion and politics. Shannon E. French is a professor in philosophy at Case Western Reserve University. She's also the director of the Inamori International Center for Ethics and Excellence, and she directs the first master's degree program in military ethics in the United States. Her primary research field is military ethics, especially conduct of war issues, ethical leadership, command climate, warrior transitions, moral injury, and the future of warfare. Welcome, Shannon and Greg. Thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Um, we're going to be discussing artificial intelligence and the future of war fighting, which I think sounds quite big and scary to people. But let's start off really basic. Greg, can you just begin by defining for us artificial intelligence and, and what that entails in your research when you're studying it? Because it sounds very sci-fi. Yeah, I mean, artificial intelligence, the, the, it's an umbrella term for a set of machine functions that simulate human forms of human and animal cognition, right? The, the term itself, artificial intelligence, was coined in 1956. Uh, it was actually put into a grant proposal. Uh, and the, the grant was funded, and it was for a summer seminar at Dartmouth University, Dartmouth College. Um, the, uh, the words could easily be misunderstood. Uh, I mean, when you hear the word artificial, you could take it to mean fake. So it's not meant in that way. Artificial here means of human construct. Uh, uh the, the contrast would be to, uh, living matter or biological matter. The word intelligence uh, could make one think that it's a matter of really high-level cognitive functions. When we talk about, for instance, someone having a high IQ. Uh, but actually, the word intelligence is, would have been better to speak in terms actually of cognition, because artificial intelligence can involve uh, perceptual abilities, just sensing the environment having a machine with a sensory capacity. Uh, we talk a lot now about driverless cars. 
we typically don't associate driving with, you know, high levels of intelligence. It doesn't take a whole lot to, you know, to, to move a car around. So uh, I would have preferred to speak in terms of artificial cognition. Uh, and then we would have this wide range of different abilities, cognitive-like abilities that that machines uh, can be designed to perform. Right. And that actually then leads me right into my next question for Shannon, which is with these kinds of weapons, um, Shannon, you argue that it can lead to something you call moral de-skilling. Uh, so mm-hmm. you can, can you just explain or define that and then tell us what's, what is happening with that? What does that do to, to humans? Absolutely. I think the helpful starting point is to think about how machines of many different types can lead to a certain degree of unskilling generally. And then we have to think about what does that mean in terms of moral or ethical unskilling? So what I'm referring to is I don't churn butter when I want to butter my bread. <laughs> I am delighted to not have to. Uh, and I I don't have that skill. And were I to be in some more primitive situation where I had to do that, I would be at a loss. I wouldn't know how to how to do it. So that's the kind of very simple example of unskilling. But we can imagine it, uh, or de-skilling, we can imagine that at a much higher level when we start to think about how humans in recent times have come to rely on our technology for things that are going to have significant battlefield implications, like, for example, navigation and what Greg was talking about, targeting. So in the past, where you would expect there to be a human, not just on the loop, but in the loop, deciding who is going to be targeted. Uh, Now you're relying on the machine, in some cases, perhaps having it decide exactly who is going to be uh, the uh, target of this recipient or the target of this ordinance, or in other cases, actually um, just deciding generally who among the possible targets are combatants and who are non-combatants. And I'd like to point out that ethical behavior is something that is complex, it is difficult, and it has a psychological strain on us. And so it's quite natural, just as I don't want to churn butter anymore, it's quite (laughs) natural for people to find it somewhat attractive to defer difficult, painful, and consequential choices to something they see as maybe being more objective or having more authority, uh, possibly even having more intelligence. And there's a tendency, we call it automation bias, for humans to assume that advanced technological systems are going to be better than they are at making some of these judgments. So what I worry about as someone who works in this area of military ethics is that the combination of this psychological tendency to want to not be responsible for very weighty, morally weighty decisions and this natural tendency to defer to an authority and particularly one that that we might imagine is almost infallible side note, it's not, (laughs) is going to make uh, 
there it's going to make people actually less practiced at those very difficult calls and it's going to make accountability more difficult when those calls are incorrect when the wrong people are targeted uh, and when uh, collateral damage slips even all the way to a war crime all of that is very concerning and it connects back to the fact that in in virtue ethics we have this notion that ethical behavior grows out of forming habits and effectively practicing exactly the virtues that we're trying to embody. And if we're not practicing the kind of difficult moral decision-making that's required in war, then where are we going to be uh, when we really need those decisions to be made and in an important sense owned by humans? We're very interested in looking at how the use of these new technologies uh, affects the ability of human agents to act responsibly in battlefield settings. Uh, and so our hunch is that uh, th these new technologies will have a significant impact. Uh, the question is, what exactly will that impact be? Uh, and I agree with Shannon that there is a, a, a risk that uh, the, these difficult decisions will be pushed off on a machine. I mean, most human beings uh, find it difficult to kill others or to bring harm upon others in, in battlefield settings. It's just a, a rare number who, who might find it untroubling or, and there are, of course, some who even find it, uh, take a certain pleasure in it, but th they're the vast minority. So, yeah, so there, you know, people might be inclined to, to just want to pass that buck off. I think it needs to be stated clearly that a machine can't be responsible. All right. So uh, being responsible means the mm. buck stops. Someone, the buck stops somewhere. It can't stop with the machine because a machine is not a moral agent. So the responsibility is going to have to be traced out somewhere else. So the responsibility ultimately, when it comes to these sorts of machines that we're talking about, the ones that can, can carry out uh, autonomous targeting in, in the on the battlefield, the responsibility will be traceable to the, the, the operators. I mean, someone will have put those machines on the battlefield, right? Uh, and then there's also the designers, uh, who 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 who've made uh, you know who set the programs, who've made the uh, responsible for design of the machines in question. Uh, but before moving on, I just would like to to note that uh, the use of AI technologies in in war fighting is not restricted to what we're now calling lethal autonomous weapons. I mean, that's a part of the story, and maybe that's the most worrisome part of the story. Uh, but a lot of AI technologies are, are currently in mm -hmm. use uh, for uh, um, decision support. It's a sort of example I gave at the beginning uh, where, uh, uh, you know, uh, a soldier might be equipped with a, a small computer that uh, with with sensors and and perhaps a a link a, a, you know a link a satellite link 
that would provide uh, that uh, soldier with a a flow of information about the surroundings. Okay, so here too, there could be a, a, there there is a problem of of over-reliance on what the the, the system, uh, well, recommends, if I can put it that way, because the system is going to identify, will perhaps identify targets of a certain kind. And that identification of a target is a kind of recommendation. Uh, and, and so uh, there could be an over-reliance. However, there could be the contrary uh, uh, countervailing uh, need for soldiers to, re- to skill up, right? To be trained as effective users of these new technologies. And part of that skilling up, becoming an effective user of the new technology would be soldier needs to understand how the, some measure how the technologies function, what their possible flaws are, uh, how to uh, uh, preempt likely uh, mistakes that can arise through the use of, of the new instruments. Uh, uh, how to, and, and so, so the, the question is not whether or not to use these sorts of technologies, the decision support, but how to be, how to make good use of them because they, they, they are, they, they can contribute to, to, uh, to enhanced, even moral use. Can I jump in here? Um, I I just want to comment on that because one thing that I think is a potential with some of this new technology that uh, clearly Greg is alluding to there and others are very interested in is whether on a positive note, we could use some of this augmentation, if you will, to actually counterbalance some of our human frailties. And what I mean by that in the context we're discussing is, for example, we know that humans are subject to tremendous bias, and we also know that in high-stress situations, people are quite commonly uh, distracted. Uh, they have uh, tunnel vision sometimes. There's, there's an inability to think as clearly as you otherwise would when your life is at stake and the lives of those for whom you're responsible. So having a decision-making aid that isn't usurping your decision, but is giving you additional information and possibly even nudges could actually, in in an ideal world, could actually step in and prevent some of the kinds of mistakes that happen in what we sometimes call the fog of war uh, from occurring. And so I think that is an important area that we want to see explored as people are developing technology for military applications, that it isn't all about don't do that or stop doing that, uh, but there's also a real opportunity in terms of developing technology that will help us perform more ethically on uh, uh, under battle conditions and really uh, balance out some of our own mm. weaknesses. There's a potential there. And I, I, I think, uh, I mean, I, I agree with Shannon. Uh, and it, it, it's important to recognize that the, 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 the weapons that are, that are making the targeting decision, the, the decision's been delegated to them, mm-hmm. the so-called lethal autonomous weapons, there are very few that are in actual use now. 
the U.S. military has a, a moratorium on on putting such weapons, you know, to, to use on the battlefield. Uh, the, the, the ones that are actually in use are, are more in radar kinds of air defense settings. Uh, so, but when we come to the decision support uh, AI based technologies, they're widely used now. And, you know, we, uh, I spoke of, uh, you know, uh, uh, gave the example of a soldier who's, you know, well, uh, fighting, say, in, in uh, you know, urban, urban, uh, urban battle space. Uh, but the, the, these technologies can be put to use at different levels of the uh, of the military hierarchy. So, and and there there are tools that have, that that have been developed and are are now now in use uh, for to to assist the commanders in in their decisions about the 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 overall battle space and coordination of the battle plan. Uh, so, and it. Each level, uh, whether it be the, the you know the soldier on the ground, or you know the the, the you know the individual airman, or or uh, uh, or naval personnel, uh, then we get the, the you know top commanders. But but there's also cyber conflict and cyber uh, uh, military personnel involved in cyber operations. So at each of these levels, AI is is is, is increasingly being put to use, uh, and there are distinctive ethical challenges that arise at each of these levels, and so that's really what the the, the project Warring Mach- with Machines is is about, namely to better understand the distinctive ethical challenges that arise at these different levels. So we're running out of time, but I want to just uh, challenge you both very briefly to tell me what do you think the key ways are uh, in which artificial intelligence will change how conflicts play out i mean you've already alluded to the a few of the ways that that it's already making uh making some changes to these to these battle situations um but shannon maybe you want to go first because now we are kind of jumping into the sci-fi realm so um yeah what do you think the key ways are that ai is going to change these situations well i think that the main point i would want to make is that Again, we want to challenge our uh, instinctive focus that we tend to focus on what we've been talking about, the various ways that uh, people might try to improve our existing abilities in areas like intelligence and and, uh, targeting and so forth, using artificial intelligence, improve our decision making. But of course, as, as war moves forward, as conflicts move forward, it will also be true that people will use the existence uh, and the um, deployment of artificial intelligence uh, on by the other side, by our opponents or enemies, as a, a different area for attack. And what I mean by that is as soon as you introduce any new technology, this has been true throughout the history of, of weaponry and so forth, it's always going to introduce interesting new vulnerabilities as well. So there will be new forms of attack, and particularly in asymmetrical conflicts, you will see this, that are aimed primarily at undoing whatever advantage the uh, augmentation of artificial intelligence has brought. 
and actually using it to um, to weaken the side that depends on it. I'm reminded, for example, that uh, the U.S. Naval Academy uh, used to teach celestial navigation and they stopped teaching it for a while because they found out that um, or they were hearing that everyone relied on on GPS and nobody ever used this. So we you know, need the space in our schedule. Let's get it get rid of it. And then a few years later, they ended up having to bring it back and put it back uh, into the schedule precisely because they realized that they had created an unnecessary vulnerability by not having the parallel training. They now it now meant that uh, adversaries only had to somehow interfere with the GPS and no one would have a way to recognize those errors. So it's it's intriguing that anytime you introduce something, you are also introducing potential new vulnerabilities and points of failure. And we will see those play out, I think, in very fascinating ways in the future battle space. Shannon is referring to what's now goes under the heading of adversarial AI. Um, the uh, I mean, I think one one development that could be very uh, significant is what what's called swarm warfare where uh, the large numbers of small miniaturized robots are unleashed on an enemy, on an adversary in, in a tightly coordinated fashion. Uh, these swarms, there could be thousands of them. Uh, so th this could have big implications for the ways in which uh, war fighting is fought. Uh, and some have argued that uh, traditional forms of warfare, like big, you know, uh, um, aircraft carriers, uh, the, these you know, large platforms, which have been essential to war fighting uh, over the last uh, century, and, and the U.S. has invested heavily in them, that these sorts of these sorts of large platform-based um, uh, weapon systems will become newly vulnerable, right? And and so we might, might we might see as a result of the introduction of AI a significant shift of power away from countries that have enjoyed this sort of superiority. Uh, to others that that uh, uh, will have invested more in in these highly mobile forms of of new warfare, for instance, the swarm uh, using swarms. Uh, like anything else, there, there 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 might be benefits in in this sort of warfare because they. Uh, uh, one hand, you might end up with fewer casualties because the swarms will be fighting human casualties. The forms will be fighting each other in some measure. Um, but by the same token, we run the risk of introducing a new new kind of weapon of mass destruction. Uh, because once you've miniaturized a weapon, uh, then uh, these weapons could be sent out in, in, in vast numbers and unleashed on a, the, the sort of enemy population. Well, you're giving me um, new nightmares to replace my COVID stress dreams, Greg. Well, well what the, uh, can I can I come with a positive end on a positive? Yeah, note? sure. Give us a positive Perhaps. note to end on. Well, just I mean, the um, 
AI-based robotic technologies could aid in uh, uh, tracing out uh, wrongful actions that occur on the battlefield. So you could have a kind of robotic observer mm. who would be, keep careful track of, of what, what's being done in the battlefield. Uh, so potential violations of, of the laws of war, atrocities and so forth can be attributed to the responsible agents. So we AI could lead to higher degrees of accountability in, in war fighting, and that would be a good thing. Thanks for picking Prio's piece in a pod. This podcast is a production of the Peace Research Institute Oslo, Prio, located in Norway. For more information, visit prio.org. Editing, recording, and hosting by me, Indigo Trikauger. Music by Mark Monenimal.